Welcome to the Church Basement Podcast. Today's topic is when to say Jesus and when not to. Grab yourself a cup of coffee or tea, strap on your running shoes, or pick up your knitting needles or crochet hook and join us. Let us introduce ourselves. I'm Pastor Amanda Zenzelow, and I serve as the pastor at Central Lutheran Church in Northeast Portland, Oregon. And I'm Don Miller, a member here at Central and the producer of the podcast. Okay, so this topic again comes from when we were discussing Beekner a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that you mentioned you liked that he talked about, you know, very deep subjects without necessarily specifically saying Jesus. And that meant that you could talk to your non-religious friends about the same thing that you'd read without them basically running away. So I ask, when do you say Jesus and when do you not? That is such a fascinating question because it has changed and shifted for me through these many years of ministry. Yeah. And I think initially, well, no, I know initially in my ministry, I really had a very, very hard time talking about Jesus. First of all, because of the Trinity, Jesus was the aspect of God I was the most uncomfortable with. Really? Absolutely. Had the hardest time understanding, believing in, the most challenging time being able to to articulate the concept of. Jesus was by far the hardest for me in general. But to speak the name of Jesus was also incredibly challenging because it called up so much historical trauma Mm -hmm. and so much religious trauma that not for me, some for me, but a lot for people around me. Okay. That I wouldn't use it. I just would not use the word. So much so that the first time I preached a sermon on my internship, Mm -hmm. my supervisor said, after worship, did you notice you never said the word Jesus a single time? No way. Totally. It was the first feedback she gave me. That's fascinating. So I am sure that Beekner resonated with me during seminary because he never, I mean, he speaks of Jesus. He absolutely does. Don't get me wrong, but not frequently, Mm -hmm. not obviously. And so for me, that was, especially as a new Christian, still relatively at the time of seminary, I was still only a couple of years a Christian. Mm -hmm. It was safer. It was more accessible. It was less intimidating and didn't have the kind of baggage and difficulty attached to it that the word Jesus has in our culture, in our time period. And so I really avoided saying it for a very, very, very long time. I will say I've gotten much more free using the word Jesus. And I bet that if there are folks out there like Wendy, Wendy has been listening to us for five years. Uh Bless you, Wendy. You may notice, Wendy, the difference between how I have talked about Jesus from the beginning of our podcast to now, because I am much more frequent in talking openly about Jesus now. 
do you think you need to be able to say Jesus or need to be open to that? Or can you still be an effective pastor without specifically saying Jesus? Both and. Both and? I'm a Lutheran. (laughs) (laughs) Both and. I think it is absolutely totally effective to live your life as a person of Christian faith and never say the name Jesus in the sense of we live our lives as people of Christ, as people of followers of Christ. And you can say Christ, you can say God's son, you can say the savior, you can say all kinds of ways to avoid Jesus. Mm -hmm. And you can live that life in a way that people who see you see Jesus through you without ever having to say it. And I think that when I've talked about evangelism or when I've shared about my doctoral research or any of those different kinds of things, I talk a lot about that, that we live our faith and we live the beliefs of our faith and our lives in such a way that people will see our faith in our daily life. And it's not about doing it so people will see us and come to faith. It's simply that that is who we are, and so that is how we live. It's so hard to explain mm-hmm. that, I think, or put that into words, but it's truly what I believe, mm-hmm. and it's truly how I try to live. So who I am when I am in the church and who I am when I'm in the Derby community and who I am when I am running a D&D game and who I am when I'm on... Instagram and who I am, right? It's all the Mm -hmm. same me. There's no difference. It's all just me. And that should all be pointing to Jesus in one way or another. Mm -hmm. Whether I ever say it or not, it should all be pointing to a world where all have enough and no one has too much. It should all be pointing to a world where people don't have to hoard things and be afraid. It should all be pointing to a world where there is healing, where there is hope. That is who we are as people of faith, as followers of Jesus. And so hopefully what I do and who I am points to that, whether I say the name of Jesus or not. So not saying Jesus, it should still all undergird everything I do. That being said, Mm -hmm. During my doctoral work, Dr. Sweet was very clear that it is our responsibility as followers of Jesus to proclaim the name of Jesus and to speak it clearly with hope, with love, with delight and joy, and to not be afraid of speaking the name of Jesus. Because in that name is everything that we believe the world needs. And so to not say it because we are afraid that it is being used to harm other people means that it cannot be used to heal them. Mm -hmm. And so it is upon us to find ways to hold that word and hold that name sacred and to reclaim the ability to speak that name without fear. And so, yes, you can be a very effective pastor, a very effective Christian, a very effective and powerful leader and powerful person of faith 
and never speak the name Jesus in public. And our call compels us to speak the name of Jesus and proclaim the name of Jesus. And so that has been my challenge in these years since my dissertation and since my work with Dr. Swede to learn to proclaim the name of Jesus without shame or fear or any of those other pieces holding me back. Mm -hmm. I will tell you that since moving to the Pacific Northwest, where religion is not a thing, and mm -hmm. in many cases is actively definitely not a thing, if that mm -hmm. makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Speaking about any sort of church or anything of that vein, when I'm back in the Midwest, where it is not looked down upon as much as it is, is out here, is much easier. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious if you find the same, not that either of us have done a lot of traveling in the last couple of years. <laughs> right, no travel in the last few years. Pretty much. I don't know because I haven't, I have done so little travel and those that I have traveled to see, their faiths are so vastly different than mine. Mm -hmm. Their faith practices are so vastly different than mine. Either they are individuals who are not practicing Christians, mm -hmm. they are uh, of other non-Christian faith traditions. The only Christians that I have visited in the last decade, okay, I think, are my Catholic parents. Mm -hmm. And so when they speak the name of Jesus, it is very different as well, as you know. Mm -hmm. It's part of the liturgy. And so, yeah, I think it's a vastly different kind of journey to find ways to communicate about this. But with the majority of my community being non-Christian, mm -hmm. the majority of my community outside of the community that I serve, mm -hmm. put that out there. Sure. Speaking the name of Jesus is also really hard because it is still a traumatizing word mm -hmm. for many people. For many, mm-hmm. And so finding the way to speak the name of Jesus outside of the Christian community so when I'm not preaching, like to speak the name of Jesus when I'm preaching is already hard enough. Mm -hmm. To speak the name of Jesus to my friends who are non-Christian and who have been actively targeted and harmed by the Christian conservative majority of our country, mm -hmm. that's a whole nother level of difficult to find ways to talk about, I do what I do because I believe in Jesus and Jesus helps me to understand how I make these choices. That was going to be one of my questions is how do you talk about what you do when you meet people for the first time, especially out here where religion is not really talked about? Well, when I meet people for the first time, I kind of avoid that what do you do for a living question if I can. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I try to not come out to them until they've made their assumptions about me as a human being first. Okay. And then if they really push for it, I will share that I'm a pastor. But I try to make certain that they catch the flavor of who I am as a person before they know what I do for my call. Because oftentimes in the Pacific Northwest, 
if people find out what I do for my call before they know who I am as a person, they will not feel safe to get to know who I am as a person. No, no. It's definitely like a door shutting kind of situation. Yeah. Yeah. And understandably, Mm -hmm. people have the right to keep themselves safe. And that's important to do. And unfortunately, many people have not been safe from those in my call. Well, and honestly, there's a lot of people in your call who wouldn't be as open to that boundary even being there. Mm -hmm. I would imagine that if somebody is a pastor and really felt that strongly about it, you would want to evangelize and you would want to try to help somebody see your side of the situation instead of saying, I understand that this is a hard line. And possibly, yeah. For that, I think it's amazing that you're even willing and able to see that. I've experienced it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that that's part of it is that even though I've now spent more years as a professional Christian (laughs) than I have as a Mm non-Christian, I actively work to remember what it's like to not be a person of faith so that I can try and keep myself from saying things like, well, we all know the story Mm -hmm. or everyone knows this song. I might say something like, even before I was a member of the church, I was aware of the song Amazing Grace. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping you may know this as well as a kind of this is a cultural song that is known outside of even Christian circles. Mm -hmm. If you know it, join in kind of a piece. But I try very hard because I remember how it felt to be the person in the room who had never heard the story of the Good Samaritan yet. Mm -hmm. But everyone has heard this and everyone knows this. And I did not. So... Even those little pieces that set apart that insider-outsider, because Christianity is the supermajority within our country, Mm -hmm. it creates such a devastating insider-outsider-you-don't-belong-here feeling. Mm -hmm. And so I don't ever want to be a part of that. I don't want to enforce that. And at the same time, I am called to proclaim the love of Jesus. And so I need to find that way to balance that, to balance showing the love of Jesus and proclaiming the love of Jesus. And even just speaking that, my default was going to be, I'm called to proclaim the love of Christ. (laughs) And I had to make the split second decision to say Jesus instead of Christ. Uh And that's where I continue to do my work. That's an interesting switch to have to develop because... There's got to be certain situations where you do want to 100% get around saying the word Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I'm guessing just falling back to other synonyms is how you do so. Mm -hmm. Or Mm -hmm. do you just go to somebody like Beekner's words and use those instead of trying to fumble your way through? Oh, it's easy enough for me to avoid that. I have plenty of years of it. It's the same as trying to avoid pronouns for God. Oh, okay. Right. And whether good or bad, you know, folks can be frustrated with me sometimes because I'm very good at speaking around a subject sometimes or politically sometimes in the sense of I can talk around a thing. That's partially training, Mm -hmm. right? So I can talk of 
God, the creator who welcomes us and brings us to the earth and God, the sustainer, right? Like Mm -hmm. we can find ways around to be able to find expansive language so that we avoid these hotspot words Mm -hmm. that can cause harm in a given situation. So part of my skills that I've honed over the years have been to do the work to know what a whole bunch of different ways are to refer to God, to refer to Jesus, to refer to the Holy Spirit, to do that and let them be second nature. So I'm not in a spot where I'm like, well, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. right. My brain can just go, well, you know, when, when the rabbi, the great teacher of all time gathered together with the people who were following him, they came and they, right. Like yep. you can just start pulling things out. Are there certain sermons where you either want to use Jesus more or certain ones where you just know, given whatever the audience may be, that you just absolutely pull back 100% from that? Mm-hmm. Okay. Context is everything. Yeah? Yeah. Going into it, what are we talking? Like, I'm going to guess a wedding you would pull back from saying Jesus, depending on who it is. Maybe a funeral. Who knows? Yeah. So totally. There have actually been in weddings, I've had specific requests for weddings to not be religious. Okay. My response to that is fine until the blessing at the end. You (laughs) asked for a religious leader Mm -hmm. to officiate at your wedding. I am going to bless your marriage. I don't have to do it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Mm -hmm. but I am going to invite the divine to bless your marriage. I can use the word divine. I don't have to use the word God, but I am going to use expansive language and your wedding will be, your marriage will be blessed. Mm Mm-hmm. Because you asked a sacred person to do this. Get over it. Otherwise, go ask a JP. Mm -hmm. Sometimes funerals, very rarely funerals. Most of the time, again, if I am being asked to preside at a funeral, they're expecting some kind of religious words. Okay. And I'm going to fall back on them. What about your Easter and your Christmas? I'm most curious about these two because... They are obvious religious things. There's no really getting around talking about Jesus when you're talking about both Easter and Christmas. No, there really isn't. Kind of at the forefront. But usually you know you have people who aren't coming to church either regularly or people who have been actively dragged along by parents and grandparents who may not necessarily want to be there and hear what you're going to tell them. Does that mean that you change your language for some of this, given that the audience may not be as receptive? I think yes and no. They're going to hear the name Jesus because the story on that day is about Jesus's birth or Jesus's death. Yep. So you're going to hear the name of the main character. So for folks who are not necessarily strongly faith bound, Mm -hmm. they may encounter it as a piece of fictional writing. Sure. And they're listening to the story, the main character. Sure. And in that case, for those particular days, really what people are doing is they're coming to hear the story anyway. They're not coming to hear giant theological tracts about some kind of massive theoretical... They're not coming to hear 
big $50 words about mm -hmm. how I think that people are saved, right? They're coming to hear the story. They're coming to hear the faith story. So people who are not necessarily individuals who are accustomed to being people of faith or people who really apply sacredness to this story mm -hmm. can come and just encounter the story as a story. And it's less intimidating, I think. Okay. I think what's more intimidating are the Sundays after that. Because if people are showing up the Sunday after Easter uh, or the Sunday after Christmas, uh -huh. those are the folks who are deeply faithful because they're coming when everybody else is on vacation, mm -hmm. often even the pastor. And they're showing up in weeks where we have some deeply challenging texts. We have, right after Christmas, the slaughter of the innocents. Mm -hmm. Herod gets scared and has all of the infant children around the same age of Jesus killed in the region. And Mary and Joseph become asylum-seeking immigrants and flee the country. And so you've got infanticide, you've got asylum seeking, you've got fleeing countries, you've got all kinds of big, massive topics mm -hmm. in the week after Christmas. You have uh, the naming of Jesus right afterwards. You've got prophecy and fulfillment in the stories of Simeon and Anna. You have his baptism, so baptismal theology, and then you get Epiphany and these three wise men showing up, and who are these magi from the East, and what is Zoroastrianism, and how does that play into it, and right? So all of these massive theological concepts that come in in the weeks immediately following Christmas, mm -hmm. and the folks who are showing up in the weeks between Christmas and the second week of January... They're ready to chew on that stuff. Uh-huh. So those are the weeks that are scarier to preach. <laughs> That's fascinating. <laughs> and same with Easter. The couple of weeks immediately following Easter, when we're talking about devastated faith, people who have just watched their leader die, but they haven't seen him resurrected yet, or they've seen him resurrected, but they're really confused. Mm -hmm. And has he come back? And has he not come back? And we're eating with him, but who is he? And then we're getting stories of telling the story, but these disciples are going to be martyred, right? We get these, again, really challenging, hard texts that all have to do with Jesus and all of these texts are speaking the name of Jesus over and over and over again. So those are much harder texts to preach to people who are ready to hear them and willing to hear the challenge of those texts than perhaps the Christmas and Easter, where really what we want is just to hear the story. Mm -hmm. That's fascinating. Okay, that's going to lead me to my last question. Usually it's only at the church on Christmas Eve, where I'm super excited to say Merry Christmas to everybody, because I know I'm not going to offend anyone and it's not going to be a problem and everybody's on the same page and we're all super <laughs> excited to be there. What is the situation where you're like, I'm going to just shout the word Jesus because I know I'm all good, I'm all clear, and it's just the best moment ever? Oh, I don't know if I have ever felt that way. No? 
Honestly. No, not even in seminary. We're like digging into some text and you're going all full bore into learning about the story and this, that, and the other. No? Oh, never in seminary. (laughs) Absolutely not in seminary for me. I'm trying to think of like during my doctoral work, if there was like a moment when I felt like my tongue was set free to proclaim the name of Jesus. Not even and I don't like think an so. installation for somebody where you're like, no. this is this is free and clear. We're good. No? No. Wow. I think that I always struggle to freely and easily proclaim the name of Jesus. And this just goes back to how deep for me the challenge is how much harm I know it does and is doing and has done in our culture and to people that I love and to myself. I know how much it has hurt people. And every time I say it, I am going through my mind a thousand ways. Am I doing this in the way that is good and building or am I going to cause harm in the name of Jesus? And I know sometimes I must get it wrong inevitably. Mm -hmm. But it's just this fear that I have that I will somehow cause harm with the name of Jesus because it is so easy to do. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know that I have ever proclaimed it without the heaviness of the feel of the stole on my shoulders and the responsibility of the yoke of my position to just be like, you cannot just shout this without knowing that if you say this wrong or do this wrong, you can cause so much harm. There is so much joy and so much love and so much hope that can be found and life that can be given in it. And there is so much harm that can be done. And I don't think I have found a way to not feel the challenge of it yet. Honestly, if we could all be so wonderfully thoughtful and caring in our choice of words, the world would be a better place. Well, I just, I mean, I'm not saying it's a good thing. I have therapy every single week. (laughs) I disagree. I think being thoughtful in your word choice is a very good thing. I don't know. It's a lot of anxiety. If we could dial it down a little bit, it might be better for everybody. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Well, thank you, Pastor Amanda, for taking the time to talk to us about when you say Jesus and when you don't. I look forward to sitting down with you another week on another subject. As do I. And may you all find ways to encounter Jesus gently and with hope in your lives. Thank you for listening in, for staying with us. We are now celebrating that we are on Spotify. You can find us there. And if you are finding us there for the first time, welcome. There is an entire backlog of episodes for you to research. You can reach out to us at podcast at centralportland.org. And we would love to hear from you about topics you are interested in hearing about or questions you might have for us. Until we are back in your ears again, remember, God loves you, no matter what.